comma is adjacent on the athletic podcast network i've never led a weekday mass but i'm going to give it my best shot tonight it's always about the game. It is so much about the game that when I became commissioner, one day my mom, who lived in, uh, who is no longer with us, who lived in Miami, who had been going to Heat games, she did know that the ball, it took her a while to understand that the ball was inflated and not stuffed, but she was there and she called me one day to say, I met Dr. Irving. Okay, Mom. If you have any doubt that it's about the game, it is always about the game. And we have wonderfully articulated our values together. Welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. Uh, David Aldrich here in D.C. on New Year's Day. Um, the irony, man plans, God laughs. Uh, this was supposed to be, I'm supposed to be on vacation this week. Uh, this was the one week of the year that I haven't worked or that I wasn't going to work because I've worked 51 straight weeks and I thought maybe I could take a week off. So in Washington, they hired a new head coach uh, this week, so I had to do that. And unfortunately, today we got the news, uh, I think, that many of us hope we would not get um, from the NBA, which is that uh, David Stern, the commissioner emeritus of the NBA, uh, passed away at age 77, uh, some three weeks after he had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. Um, and it's it's difficult to kind of even know where to begin when you are trying to discuss someone as consequential as, as Stern. Um, I would simply say this. I think there's two there's only two commissioners of any note or of any importance in the history of sports in the United States. One is Pete Rozelle, um, who convinced millionaire owners at the time to give up their own individual TV contracts to take on or take a share of a league-wide TV contract. This was before the NFL was getting $30 billion for its uh, for its uh, TV contract, before the NFL was doing that. Uh, and the other is David Stern. And I would say David Stern, in the totality of what he accomplished in his 30 years of commissioner, as commissioner was was more consequential than Pete Rozelle. Um, again, it's difficult to know when where to start, but I think the simple the simplest way to start is the fact that if if you were covering the NBA or aware of what the NBA was doing in 1984 when David Stern became commissioner, and then you were aware of where it was in 2014 when he retired as commissioner. Um, you wouldn't even recognize the two leagues as being the same thing. You would think that they are two wholly separate professional basketball leagues. Um, his accomplishments in all manner, in all aspects of everything that you can think of about the NBA, whether it is the incredible curating and the incredible amount of uh, no, notoriety that the players have individually, whether it's the amount of money that the players are making, whether it is the cities in which their teams play, whether it is the networks on which or the ways on which you watch the NBA games, whether it is in the United States or in Italy or in Spain or in China or in Ghana, 
or in Argentina. His fingerprints are all over all of those things. Um, and it's difficult to kind of, um, again, centralize what you think about the man. Um, but we will try. Um, we will try in these next few minutes to do so. I've got a really, really cool cross-section of, of guys with me. Ethan Strauss is with us today, and Sam Amick is with us today, and Tony Jones is with us today. And they have all covered this league and individual teams in it over the last few years and certainly can speak to what they see from the league now. But, you know, I know that Sam and Ethan have both written first-person accounts of their interactions over the years with David. Uh, one from my, I, I have written one as well that will be in the, on the Athletic NBA page at some point uh, this afternoon or this evening. Um, but, um, Sam, I wanted to start with you um, because you're – your interactions with with David Stern were very specific uh, in one regard, and it was one of the biggest decisions that he made, which was the decision to do all that was in his power to keep the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento and not allow right. them to be sold to Chris Hansen, who was going to move them to Seattle. And uh, the, the owners of the team at the time had agreed to sell the team to Chris Hansen. And yep. it was all but a certain, it was all but a fait accompli, except the commissioner of the NBA said no. Right. <laughs> and that's why they're still in Sacramento. <laughs> 100%. That's why there's a street named in his honor next to the Golden One Center. You know, I mean, he's, his legacy is set in Sacramento. I'm sure a lot of people in Seattle certainly feel differently about that specific David Stern subplot. But for me, guys, you know, I already knew the incredible influence and power that David wielded within the league. Um, but the front row seat that I had for that story and that situation, that was really truly the first time that I started to get it, where you, you looked at the landscape and in the beginning you're thinking to yourself that, you know, we're taught from the youngest of ages to just kind of follow the money. And, and if there's more cash for the NBA in Seattle, then, then goodbye Sacramento. That's what's going to happen. And over time, what I started learning was that, you know, the culture of this particular sports league that he played such a huge part in building was such that they, they had a, a pretty extreme preference uh, towards, you know, not relocating and that David wanted that team to stay in Sacramento. He believed in the market. If you go back to the old C web, uh, Mike Bibby days and Vlade and those guys, you know, getting the nation's attention as a high level playoff team, those teams, you know, proved to David that the fan base was worth fighting for. And he essentially had long since given a thumbs up on the community and their ability and, and kind of, you know, willingness and you know, right to support a team like that. And so he started stepping on the scale. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it that, that's the, the position he was in as commissioner. He, he wanted that team to stay. He worked in concert with Kevin Johnson. Uh, obviously former NBA player and at the time mayor of Sacramento to uh, give him the blueprint to lead the team to stay. Um, and, you know, like you kind of alluded to, David, the uh, I, I am glad and grateful and, and kind of honored in a weird way to have spoken to David about a month ago. It's just one of those things life-wise where you always feel a little more at peace when you at least got to, to connect with that person. And, you know, we went down memory lane about a month ago uh, talking about that whole saga. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy in hindsight because he sounded great. He was his, 
typical edgy, you know, smart ass, hilarious, incredibly intelligent self. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that was a, a huge part of his story, certainly. Uh, you know, Sam, I don't think people understand. He didn't just have his thumb on the scale. He had his whole fist on the scale. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, because I don't think, uh, you know, I know if you were, unless you were really involved in this on a daily basis, um, when the initial decision came or initial announcement came that, that the team was going to be sold to, to the Chris Hansen group, um, right. The Sacramento tried to come up with a group. They put some, they, you know, on really on 36 hours notice, they managed to come up with a group of people, Ron Burkle and, and Mark Mastro and people that had money in that area. And were saying, hey, we'll put up some money and we'll try to keep the team here. And it was a, you know, it was a representative group. They were all very rich. They had a, they had a billionaire or two in their group. And Stern literally said, it's not good enough. This <laughs> group's right. not good enough. There's no right. way. I, there's no way the league is going to approve selling this team to this group. Um, when you not only had Hanson, you had Steve Ballmer behind Hanson. Right. You had a. You had Steve Ballmer was bankroll was not bankrolling it. Chris Hanson was rich on his own, but Steve Ballmer was the guy who said, "How many more billion do you need to get this done?" And I'm willing to write the check now. And so the not only that, David, yeah. quickly to interject, if you remember, that group had also given the Maloofs, I think it was a thirty-two million dollar non-refundable deposit. That's right. Where that's right. It was a very unique vehicle to kind of you know, in their minds, unofficially seal the deal. And even in that chat I had with Stern a month ago, I had actually asked him because I had always wondered. I said, "Hey, I heard that uh, that somehow or one way or another that group got repaid for that deposit." And I really, he kind of, you know, with, without any, I don't know what the word is, regret or or uh, or kind of remorse whatsoever. He said, "No, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they got their money back." Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I mean, it was it was heading that way for sure. Ethan, you um, also wrote a first person about Stern, and I wonder, um, you know, where you came from in terms of, you know, your interactions with him, but also kind of seeing it at, at a, at a different end, I guess I would say, which is, um, you know, you, you cover a team that's doing extremely well, <laughs> you know, and that's, um, is moving into, uh, is uh, moved into an enormous new building, but also was another example of David Stern, maybe, making sure the right guy got the team when it was for sale. <laughs> because as you've written extensively, you know, as all, all due respect to current, current ownership of the Warriors, the you know, Lakeup and, and, and Peter Goober, but let's be, let's be real now. There was a guy who offered more money for the Warriors <laughs> than they did. And David Stern said, no, they get the team. Yeah. I think in that instance, the fact that Lacob was within the NBA family as having been a part owner of the Celtics uh, certainly gave him an in um, and it helped to have a relationship with David Stern. Um, and the reasoning for that, who knows, you know, who knows why Stern preferred, you know, preferred Lacob to, to Allison. Now a lot went into that. There was a confluence of factors uh, that contributed to what, to what happened. But um, in a way, the, the perspective that I'm coming at it from is not the same as you or Sam's in that a lot of my career, such as it exists, is after Stern leaves the stage, after he exits. My first full-time season 
uh, was the, I think, 2014, 2014 Warriors, the famous Adam Silver band for life, that mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that was my first full-time season. So a lot of um, the relationships that I struck up with David Stern um, it was, it was a lot of nostalgia and remembrance and, uh, okay, tell me this story or what happened there. And just walking down that, that path where, um, he, he was looking at it, he was looking at it with almost a, an arm's distance and, um, quite friendly, but you had to know the way in which he was being friendly. And it did, I think, help to have a certain cultural understanding. I, I, I have relatives who act like David Stern. In many moments, I felt like he was one of my relatives in the way he interacted, interacted with me. And you have to just understand, take it as it comes. He might be yelling at you and insulting you. But the idea is that you're supposed to pick up your sword and you're supposed to joust. This is a game. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to fold. You're supposed to come right back. You're also supposed to be clever. And that was the beauty and the joy of those conversations is that I'm reminded of with improv, they say that you're supposed to be performing at the top of your intelligence. I felt like when I was talking with David Stern, I was forced into a position where I had to raise my game, be a bit quicker, be a bit funnier, be a bit tougher. And I love those conversations. And beyond all of that, I think he's a model in a way. If you are somebody who might be a a bit of a nerd, as he chastised me (laughs) in one of the conversations I wrote about, uh, it it shows you that you can also be tough. You can also be tough in your own way. Uh, The trick is to be competent, to know what you want, to know what you're going for. So that's what I took from David Stern just on a personal level from our conversations. Tony, I don't know if you had, you know, uh, occasion to speak with uh, with Stern uh, while you've been covering the jazz. But if so, what were those conversations like? And if not, I mean, what do you make of this as as one of the younger guys that, that is now covering this league? Well, I, I didn't actually have, have uh, a, I haven't had any conversations or any personal interaction, you know, but. You know, my thing with David Stern, I, I look at it as more of a fan because I grew up in this game. Uh, I grew up playing the game. I want, I grew up wanting to play in the NBA um, and to see just how the league has changed uh, from decade to decade. You know, you go from you go from the finals, uh, you go from the finals being on tape delay to uh, Magic and, and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird coming along in the '80s, and their influence, along with Mr. Stern's influence and vision, basically saving the NBA. And you know, as as a fan of the league and as somebody who covers the league, the things that uh, we know today that we take as gospel today, like the NBA lottery, uh, the influence of of international players. Uh, in the league. I mean, we don't have Luka Doncic without David Stern. We don't have, we wouldn't have Dirk Nowitzki or Drazen Petrovic uh, without David Stern. Uh, We wouldn't have uh, the dress code without David Stern. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to see um, how polarizing some of his decisions were. Um, But at the same time, I think that his personality, he was a domineering personality, um, but his personality was needed for what was needed in, in, in this league. This league was on the verge of distinction. 
it it was it was drug riddled. It, there was very little interest in in the NBA uh, in in the late seventies and early eighties. And when once Mr. Stern took over the league in, in nineteen eighty four, he took the league further than anybody could envision. One man taking a league in those in those three decades, and by the time um, by the time he retired in 2014, as you said uh, in, in the opening, I mean the league is is basically two different NBAs. So you know my my vision of David Stern, uh, I'm sad. It's a sad day because I think you know for for people like me who grew up. Uh, in, in the 1990s, grew up, you know, loving the game of basketball. Um, he gave us, he gave us a gift, and he grew that gift, and he left us a gift. And I hope going forward, um, you know, just the influence, the international influence, uh, the financial influence, uh, and, and the influence, uh, and the marketing influence. I hope that we take uh, what he has left us and and, and push it forward to even even further heights. Tony, I want to I want to talk about some of the things that, that you mentioned that Ethan mentioned also uh, about the media part of this, um, because this is very personal for me. Um, you know, as as you all may or may not know, I don't know if you do or, or don't, but, you know, David Stern, like like most commissioners, essentially has veto power over the people that are on the national broadcasts of his league's games. I mean, essentially, if he doesn't think you're good enough or he doesn't like you or doesn't think that you're, you know, bringing anything to the to the broadcast, it, I'll put it this way. It is very difficult for a network to push back on that. Very difficult. Um, right. I covered the NBA for ESPN and for Turner for 23 years. Um, there's no doubt in my mind the only reason that I got to do that is because David Stern allowed it to happen. And it, that's important to me, obviously, because it allowed me to do my job and, and to do it at, at a high level, and I'm very happy about that. But it's But the reason – the other reason it's important to me or it was important to me was because I didn't play, okay? I – I wasn't an ex-player. Um, I didn't play in the NBA. I didn't play in college. I didn't play in high school. I didn't play. I was, as Ethan put it, a nerd. <laughs> okay. Um, and the notion that the NBA would be covered for a long time by someone who didn't play is something that is very unusual for someone who looks like me. <laughs> very unusual. Um most sports leagues or most networks, if you are black, you had to play to get on network television and to get to be, on, be in the studio and do and talk about games. It's ex-players. It's really all that there are. Uh, there were very few people of any kind um, that didn't play, but the ones that were did not look like me. Um, and for David Stern to... Give me the opportunity to do that is something that I will always recall. As 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 I recall this, um, people always wondered when I worked at NBA.com, you know, well, isn't that, you know, it's just a house organ for the NBA. You're just writing propaganda for the NBA. And I defy them to look at what I wrote and what Steve Ashburner wrote during two lockouts. <laughs> 
right. 2005 and 2011 and tell me I was working for, I was the house guy for right. the NBA. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is the point I'm making is that the NBA, David Stern, allowed me to write on their website <laughs> that they were stupid and wrong about these negotiations with players and that they should give the players what they want. And just think about what that kind of whether it's security or whatever it is, um, allows you to do as a journalist. Um, so it, this is part and parcel, I think, of the impact he had that people maybe don't think about in, in these other subtle ways. Um, certainly what he did to ensure that Magic Johnson was able to play in the Olympic Games, you know, is again, this was not now. This was 1991. When people thought if a gay person sneezed on you, you would get AIDS and die. That's what people thought. Right. It wasn't crackpot right. theory. That's what mainstream people thought. <laughs> you know, not less than a few NBA players thought the exact same thing. <laughs> and for, again, David Stern to say he's going to play first in the All-Star game and then he's going to play in the Olympics – was a was a huge moment for the HIV AIDS com, you know community people that were dealing with and living with and trying to fight that disease. So these are some of the things that you know I think people w should think about when they think about David Stern. Now, having said all that, there's no doubt he got things wrong. Uh, there are people in Seattle that still will not mention his name without a few expletives attached to it. Um, there are still people that think he gave, you know, he covered up Michael Jordan uh, after he retired the first time because Michael Jordan, according to these conspiracy theories, had some gambling problems that, that couldn't get away. Now, of course, that completely neglects the fact that, A, Michael Jordan was a multimillionaire who could pay his gambling debts, and B, all of that was already out. <laughs> so, uh, but people believe that. Um, so, and there are people who, who thought that there was, the, the officials were on the take, that Tim Donahue was just the tip of the iceberg, and that there was a lot of more going on there. People think the 1985 lottery was rigged for the Knicks. So I'm not sitting here saying that he did everything right or that everybody thought he was great. Um, so I just wonder if any of you all um, have, you know, thoughts about some of these other things and, and you know, how he was a completely, you know, he was a full person. He was a, a, th a 3D person. He was not a 2D person, right? So, I mean, there were foibles, there were things he got wrong, and there were things that people didn't agree with. Well, DA, I'm, I'm going to hop in, and you, you kind of opened up a bunch of avenues there, but because you got my curiosity up, um, I want to drill down a little bit quickly on what you alluded to with the lane that you filled media-wise. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm asking, pull that curtain back even more because that is a lane that really nobody else filled in the media. And, and that column that you alluded to earlier is now up on our site, and I'm going to read real quick something you wrote. This is a an old conversation with David when he the, the bat phone rings and the commission's calling and he's pissed about something he wrote. And it says, and I quote, it's just a shame that the standards at ESPN or TNT have fallen so low. Maybe if you'd bother to get off your fat ass and actually call someone who knew what the fuck was going on, you wouldn't have gotten it wrong. He would yell. 
those types of quotes, DA, normally like, like that's the end of a relationship. Like, but, but here's a man who we are now honoring because of the respect. Um, but, but how it, it helps, it helps the DA is not actually fat. Well, <laughs> I was going to say the first thing you would, the first thing I would think of after he said that was he thinks I'm fat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how for you, like, how do you reconcile? everything that comes with the man that's just a little you know a little slice of it but what was that like for you and how did that all oh, land it wasn't pleasant uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that that those moments were not pleasant because um you know you you pride yourself on getting something right and you can tell when you're being you know when someone's spinning you right and he sure. would spin you from time to time um, you know and that's okay that was part of the job i didn't mind that um but when he was genuinely angry, or at least at least he was he thought he was in the right about a particular issue that you may have taken a position on. And you might have also thought you were right, but he would yell and yell and try to convince you that you were wrong. Um, but again, as I as I wrote at the end of that, he would listen to what you had to say. <laughs> you know, sure. if you said, here's why you're wrong or here's why I said what I said and I stand by what I said. And if he thought your your information was correct, he would go, well, you're you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree or something like that. But it was never I never took it personally, if that's even possible to understand. You know, I I knew he had a job to do and I actually respected the fact that he thought enough of the job that I had to do that he would call it and yell at you. You know, so um, so it wasn't. It was it was like I said, it was unpleasant, but I'm I'm hardly the only person he did it to over thirty years, so I don't feel special <laughs> in any way. But um, you know, again, I, I'd like to hear what you guys think because I don't want this to be like a monologue on, on my part. Uh are, are if there are any, you know, particular things that, that, that you kind of a associate with him or certainly what you associate his impact with with regard to where the league is now. Well, I think I think one of the things with absolute power is you can get things right and you can't get things wrong right like you look at you look at things i look at things that i i vehemently disagree with that like in terms of the dress code i didn't agree with the dress code like i think that you know there's there there was a case that you know guys needed to dress a little bit better than what they were dressing or a little bit more professional um but you know, just having a dress code, ha- imposing a dress code on the entire league, I thought that it singled out a, a group of players, and I thought that that was that was kind of wrong. But at the same time, on the flip side, when the game got too bogged down in, in the mid nineties, uh, when games were ending, you know, eighty three to eighty, I thought that uh, you know the so the the freedom of movement rules, for lack of a better term, I mean, I thought that that ushered in i thought that that was a great a, a a great thing that he did because it ushered in uh the league the, the pace and space league that we've seen today so i mean there are things when you have absolute power i mean you're going to get things right you're going to get things not so right there are going to be people who um the, there are going to be people who are elated at some of your decisions there are going to be people who fume as some of your decisions, I mean, look at how polarizing the decision was uh, to, uh, to to put the kibosh on, on the Chris Paul trade uh, to the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, that will, I don't think that'll ever stop being talked talk about. So, you know, I think that when you have absolute power and you're a personality, 
a dominating personality like David Stern. I mean, I think that, you know, you're going to be polarizing in some sort of way. And I think that that's absolutely part of his story uh, today. But I think that what Stern deserves credit for is I think that he got more right than what he got wrong. And I think that when it comes to that, I think that that's the key to why his legacy is so secure uh, when we talk about him today. I completely agree with that assessment that when you are so powerful, there will be people who lose out from your decisions. And if you make a wrong decision, that wrong decision is going to have a, a big impact. And I don't have any kind of issue with somebody taking a dimmer view of the legacy. Maybe today would not be the day to give that entire assessment. I think this is probably a day where we try to be human beings and um, acknowledge that a person has died and that people love him and are without him and, and, and talk about the good qualities. But yeah, it's just a fact that when you run the NBA for three decades, uh, your legacy and the decisions that you make are going to be contested. I think that's fine. I completely understand the perspective of the, of a Seattle fan who doesn't like what David Stern did with the NBA. I don't think they should, if that is their primary attachment to the NBA. Um, and I think the difficulty sometimes you see it happen on Twitter after, um, influential people die is separating the one from the other. I think that we can have a rational conversation where we talk about the legacy and we can have another conversation where we talk about the man. And those two things aren't necessarily the same conversation. No question. And, and, you know, again, to the Seattle point, um, I wrote a piece for, again for NBA.com in 2009 about people in Seattle that were living without basketball, living without the NBA, and blame Stern for it. And I linked to the very infamous uh, documentary Sonics Gate, which was told from the view, point of view of Seattle Sonics fans who thought David Stern screwed him out of the Sonics. It was, it was an angry screed in which they, they basically said he gamed it and he took our team away from us. That was on NBA.com. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, so again, I get, I come back to it that you are absolutely right. There are, there are people who vehemently disagree with some of the decisions that David made. There are owners who will, tell you about fines that they got that they didn't think they deserved on his watch. I had great conversations with Pat Riley over the years about Stern and some of the decisions he made about the heat, you know, whether it was fines or rescinding the Juwan Howard signing in 1996, um, in which, you know, they had to take it. Um, but again, in the next breath, he, Riles told me this great story about after they signed LeBron in 2010, and Stern came down to Miami for something, and he he told he told uh, Riley and Mickey Harrison, "Well, you guys are the gold standard of how to do this, you know." Mm-hmm. And he remembered that as much as he remembered getting cursed out in Los right. Angeles in 1983, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. people are complicated, right? I mean, people leave legacies that are complicated. Well, I think the takeaway, you guys are connecting the same thread here, is that. He was never afraid to look in the mirror, which is uh, an incredible quality. It doesn't mean he was going to reverse course on something he might have done in the past. I I think he was willing to have a discussion. That's the takeaway. If he's ripping into a prominent media member, that's the takeaway. If he's having a 
an ebb and flow relationship with an owner or, or an icon like Pat Riley. Um, and, and that's just something that whatever walk of life you're in, it, there's a ton of value with that. For me, this is kind of a macro takeaway on his legacy. Um, it just boggles my mind that, you know, the same guy who comes up as a young attorney, uh, you know, working, you know, with the Proskauer law firm and then making his way up the chain, uh, back in the day when all those playoff games, finals games are on tape delay and, and things are at the, the bottom of the basement, uh, that the same guy got it to where he got it in the, you know, mid two thousands and the, and the league still had a soul. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a perfect soul, but it had a soul. And we know how the, the masses look at the NFL and some of the incredible trip ups they've had in the past five, 10, 15 years. Uh, by and large, I am somebody who covers the league and thinks that it has a pretty damn good soul and it's made mistakes. Um, but you know, I think he set the tone for not only getting that bottom line boosted as much as possible and the business success story, that you know that he played such a huge part in, but in having an identity as a league that you know did most of the time try its best to to think about the humanity when it comes to these players and and setting a tone honestly just in culture at large. Well, I, I wonder from each year perspectives, is there one thing that you really like about the NBA now that 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 you know he probably had a lot to do with? I think Tony, you had mentioned the freedom of movement part piece of it um there's no question that that was that was league driven and i don't know that that came from him but once people like jerry colangelo told him hey we got to do something about the game and rod thorne told him we got to do something about the game um he acted i think that he never lost sight of how it's an entertainment business i just read an obituary uh, where he was saying that in the office that was a common catchphrase and Mm -hmm. i I loved how the game was promoted, especially in the 90s. I love this game. In many ways, I think that the sport has gotten has gotten too far from that. He really captured what was beautiful about basketball and was able to market it. And maybe that's why he was open to the freedom of movement reforms. But I just think that was uh, for all we're going to talk about the internationalizing the game and whatnot. I, I, I think you have to have something to sell first. And he, he helped turn it into something to sell or at least saw what was sellable about it. Well, I, I and I also wonder from, you know, again, I, from each of your perspectives, you know, it's kind of, again, ironic that we're doing this on January 1st on New Year's Day because there's all manner of pieces that have been out in various publications about, you know, what's the future of the NBA going to look like and what's the NBA going to look like in 10 years? And I wonder what's, what's, what is next? What do you, what is something that this league has to do better or think about improving upon going forward? Um, because that's the, you know, obviously the task of Adam Silver and, and the group now is to try and figure out where this game goes from here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, listen, that's Adam's challenge. And, and I, I would, you know, I would love to have a beer with Adam tonight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hypothetically, the type of thing where to, to have Adam reflect and take a deep breath. And I wonder what today is like for him. Um, and, and certainly, you know, David's family comes first and foremost and his wife, Diane. But when it comes to Adam, uh, that's about as unique a professional relationship as you're ever going to find when you learn under a man and, and kind of a lion in his industry, like David Stern. And then you take the reins and, and you accomplish things on your own. But, you know, as long as David was alive, David was going to be forever attached to Adam. And I think, you know, kind of spiritually and emotionally, it's got to feel 
uh, different just the second that, that Adam learned that David was gone. And so now, you know, it will be very interesting to see, you know, where does Adam leave his, his footprint? He's already left a large one. We know that the rave reviews with good reason on the Donald Sterling saga and, and his entertainment background means he's well positioned to help the league continue to evolve. But it, it has grown to such a degree that we've already seen some of the pitfalls of that. The China story is one where, you know, David laid the groundwork out there by growing the market in China. Adam played a big part in a, you know, supportive role. Um, but, but now you're having to, to adjust and now they're trying to grow into India. So, you know, how does, Adam continue to, to push this thing in, in the direction that he wants it to go will be very interesting. Maybe the lesson, and it's complicated because maybe the solution is you should be more of what you are and you can't be somebody else, but I do think that Adam Silver needs to be tougher um, hmm. in many ways. I think that's been a critique uh, that he is I, and look, I'm, I'm just saying this is the critique. I, I don't know all of what goes into being a commissioner. That's not a job I am familiar with doing. Um, but I think that is the common critique with Adam is uh, too soft with the players, isn't giving enough direction from the top. He mostly has very positive reviews. People will speak to his competence. But there is a sense of the NBA needing firmer leadership in perhaps the way that it had in the 1990s. I don't envy the task, though. I don't come at it from the perspective of, oh, Adam just needs to do this and that. These are immense challenges. These are crazy challenges to try to figure out a way forward in China, given China's dynamic with the United States and Xi Jinping's uh, rule over there and how capricious it is. I mean, that's a really difficult thing to figure out. Um, additionally, just figuring out how to market the NBA to the entirety of the country as the country is getting increasingly polarized and just doesn't really have much to say to one another. I mean, these are these are immense challenges. So I'm not sure what what Adam Silver needs to do in the specific, but perhaps he could look to the strength of Stern's vision and its orchestration and find a lodestar in that. I think one of the things that that I'd like to see um, the lead take direction in is 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 development um, of our in, in in our youth leagues before guys actually get to the professional level. Um, I think the G League, the direction of the G League is terrific. Um, I, you know, I think that um, we're eventually going to go back to 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 high schoolers being allowed uh, to declare for for the NBA draft. Uh, I'm in support of that, but I'd like to see the NBA get involved. Uh, even at the AAU level, uh, because I think that there's, um, I think that the critique of the AAU level is is a fair one. Um, I think that you know guys just kind of roll the ball out and play, and I'd like to see some development there. Um, and I think that you know, I think that the league um, could possibly, you know, I don't know how how they do this, but I think that they could possibly uh, get a hand in there and, and help with the development. Um, at the youth level um, before guys get to the college level uh, in, and in turn before guys uh, get to the league. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say in closing um, that I, I think that Ethan, you mentioned it. I do think that the main challenge for the league, the league is everywhere in the free world. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's not too many more places that they can go in the free world. You know, they've, they've, pretty much gotten most of the, you know, all of the first world, most of the second world and, you know, a good chunk of the third world. 
But the problem is going to be, I think, going forward, where are the where are the new areas of growth? Um, and can you can you know, you know, India is a place that is fraught with all sorts of, you know, geopolitical issues and problems. Um, but that's a right. place where the NBA is going to wants to put a major footprint in the in the next few years. Well, that's not going to be as easy as you think, you know. So um, that is one area. They're certainly making uh, with with being involved in and, and helping uh, fund NBA Africa. That's going. That's wonderful. It's going to give a lot of people opportunities at all levels of the game. Um, but it's also going to create some unintended consequences. I think that they're going to have to navigate themselves through. Um, but the the fact again, fellas, that that we are all talking about these global issues with regard to this league, I think, is a good way to kind of end this and, and talk in talking about the impact that that David Stern had on this league uh, and the the immense popularity, the immense amount of money, and the immense challenges that it faces. Uh, all, almost all of those are because of decisions that David Stern made over thirty years. Um, so I thank all of you guys for coming in on such short notice and doing this kind of emergency pod. But we all felt like it was it was well worth doing and that we had to have some discussion about uh, a very consequential person in David Stern. So I thank you guys for, for taking part. No Thanks for having thank you guys. Me. All right. Some prayers with the Stern family for sure. A- absolutely. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Hoops Adjacent. Thanks for joining us. Leave a review. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere that you can find podcasts. If you think we're good, say so. If you don't think we're good, keep it to yourself. See ya. <laughs>